Amen. That's a beautiful song, the great message. And I do hope that's your prayer. Is your soul satisfied in Christ alone? So often as so many Christians, we are not satisfied in Christ, in Christ alone. We're looking for satisfaction in all other places except for Christ. Take your Bibles this morning, open to the book of John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're continuing our series, Abide in Me. And as we're making our way through this chapter, uh, last week we looked at verses 13 through 15 when servants become friends. And Jesus, obviously, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, Titus, many of them, refer to themselves as the servant of Jesus Christ. And we are the servants of Christ, but yet Jesus says, I don't want you to be servants, I want you to be friends. And we saw how we can move from being a servant to being a friend. This week we're looking at verse number 16. In verse number 16, Jesus says, speaking here, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. I want to draw your attention to verse number 21. He says, but all these things will they do unto me, and notice this phrase, for my name's sake. All these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come this morning, Lord, to worship you. And Lord, beautiful singing. And Lord, I pray that you use the message this morning to truly speak to our hearts. Lord, may we put aside the cares and distractions of the world and truly focus on you this morning. Lord, as they sang in the song, Lord, may our desire to, would be truly that our satisfaction would be in you and you alone. Lord, I pray that you just speak to our hearts this morning as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For his name's sake, Jesus said these things are going to be done for his namesake. Because they knew him not. They knew him not that sent me. Remember, Jesus is on the way to the cross. He and the disciples have already had the supper in the upper room and they're, they've left the upper room and they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to spend a, a, a few, a, a, some time in prayer and then he's going to be arrested. And so between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is with his 11 disciples and he's giving them this instruction. And throughout this passage, we find this phrase repeated again and again and again in John chapter 15, which is the title of our series here. Abide in me. Abide in me. It's so important that we abide in Christ. 
But what really is the Christian life about? What is the Christian life about? If we think about it, the Christian life is to be about Christ. That's why it's called the Christian life. It's not to be about our life. We're not to input our name in there. It's not to be the, the Andrew life or, or the, the Joe life or the Sally life or the Susie life. It is to be the Christian life. And so often as Christians, instead of following Christ and it being about him, it becomes about us. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Notice, when we think of this idea of for his name's sake, notice he says we are chosen for his name's sake. Again, in in verse number 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. We are chosen for his name's sake. We are chosen for the name of Jesus Christ. You see, if it were up to us, we would never have chosen him. We would never have chosen him. We chose everything but him. We chose self. We chose sin. We chose pleasure. We chose a lie over the truth. We chose religion over God. We we would choose anything other than him. But yet he says, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Can I ask you a question this morning? What do you have to offer God? I mean, let's just be really honest this morning. What, what talent, what ability, what do you have to offer God that he really needs? And yet he says, I have chosen you. I've chosen you. For my name's sake. Aren't you glad that he was long-suffering to us? Aren't you glad that the Bible says that he was long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? And chose you and I to come to himself. I'm glad that he chose us when we really wanted nothing to do with him. What a thought that he would choose you and me. The Bible tells us that it is God that draws us to himself. In John chapter 6 and verse number 44, the Bible says, No man... Come to me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So think about this. The Father is trying to draw us to himself. And here's the thing. The Father wants everyone to come to know Jesus Christ as the Savior. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish. God's desire is for everyone to come to him. He's trying to draw everyone to himself. But not everyone chooses to listen. The Bible is very clear that he has put it into the heart of every person that there is a God. There is no one that can say, I, you know, uh, I, I'm an atheist. Uh, We, the couple weeks ago, we sent out the, the John and Romans up to uh, Union City. And um, one of the things that I made sure that when we did was uh, because Miss Leah is our church secretary and I made sure that when we started sending these out that the number would not go to the church. I made sure that the number would go to me because I knew some of the phone calls that we would get. 
and I did not want a lady having to listen to some of those phone calls. And this past week, I got a phone call. The nastiest phone call that I've ever received in my life. Simply because someone received a John and Romans in their mailbox. It was so filthy. And at the end, he says, and I'm an atheist. Friend, there are no atheists. He can say he's an atheist all he wants. But here's the thing. Why was that so convicting to him? Why did that bother him so much that he would have to call and, and curse me out and use all this filthy? Why did that offend him so much that there was a John and Romans in his mailbox? Because he knows there's a God. He knows there's a God. Now, he may want to deny it. He may want to push it to the side. But in his heart, he knows there's a God because God has placed it in every person's heart that there is a God. Now, it's up to us that we determine what we do with that. What do we do with that knowledge? Will we accept that knowledge and recognize that there is a God who created everything and and who wants to know us and and who gave his son for us? Or we say, no, I don't want to know that God. I I reject that God. I'm going to make my own God. That is on us. But God says, I have chosen you. But here's the thing. You ever, you ever been picked for a team before? You, ever, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to play basketball, you know, and you got 15 guys out there. You're going to pick, you know, you can only pick five on a team. So you got, you, got, you know, you flip who's going to be the captains, right? It's always the, the tallest guys that are the captains, right? They get to be the captain. And then you got all the guys out there. And then normally the way it goes is... If it's basketball, who else is the tallest, right? Who else is the tallest guy who can handle the ball really well? You know, so they're looking for who the tallest guy was. I can tell you this. When they were looking for the tallest guy, I was picked first every single time. (laughs) No, I wasn't. (laughs) I was barely picked if I was ever picked. But, you know, if I said, hey, you know what, Brian? I want to choose you. I want to pick you for my team. I can say, Brian, I'm choosing you. You're, you guys are all out here. I'm going to pick you for my team. I choose you, Brian. What does that mean? It just simply means that I have chosen him. Does that mean he's on my team? Nope, it doesn't. It doesn't mean he's on my team. I've chosen him to be on me. I've picked him, but he has a choice to make himself. He has a choice whether he looks at me and says, you know what, I don't think you know anything about basketball. I don't want to be on your team. Or he can say, you know what, hey, I've seen you play, and and you've coached pretty good, and, and I've seen how you dribble the ball, and I've seen how you shoot. Yeah, I think I want to be on your team. Just because I choose Brian to be on my team doesn't mean that he's automatically on my team. Sometimes we get this idea, well, God has chosen people to be saved and people not to be saved. No, friend, that is a lie. God has not chosen certain people to be saved and certain people not to be saved. God says he has chosen us. He is drawing us to himself. But just like Brian has to make a decision, do I want to be on his team? So every person has to make that choice. Will I choose to be on team Jesus? Or will I choose to be on my own team? Now, I have no idea if Brian can play basketball or not. Can you? He says, no, (laughs) then I made a bad choice. (laughs) But see, that's the thing. 
Brian says, I'm no good at basketball. What good do you have to offer God? We have nothing to offer him. And yet God says, Brian, I still want you on my team. Even though you can't do anything. You can't shoot. You can't dribble. I don't know if he can or not. I'm just using this as an illustration, okay? Some of you are like, man, you're being mean to Brian. I don't know. It's just an illustration, okay? Calm down. You can't shoot. You can't dribble. You can't pass. You can't even run up and down the court. Brian, I want you on my team. You're on my team. Now, will you choose to be on my team? God says, you have nothing to offer me, but I want you on my team. Will you be on my team? Will you choose me? He says, I have chosen you. He's drawing us, even in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, in verse number 32, he says, And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Jesus' desires that all would come to him. He wants them to come to him. And thank God, if you've made that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you made that decision to accept that offer to be on Team Jesus. But maybe, maybe there's somebody here today. You've never accepted that offer. Look, friend, don't think you have to have something special to offer him. Don't think, man, if, well, if, if, I, you know, if I don't look the part or if I don't dress the part or if I don't talk the part, or you know, I, I've got I've to straighten my life out. I've got to make myself look better so that he will want me. No, friend, he wants you now. He wants you now just the way you are with nothing to offer him. Because here's the thing, even if you try to straighten up your life, even if you try to look the part and dress the part and talk the part, you still have nothing to offer him. He wants you now just the way you are. Can I tell you something? You'll never find a greater offer than what Jesus offers. He says, I have chosen you. He wants you. But you have to make the choice whether to accept him or not. If you've never done that, we'd love to take the word of God and show you how you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Praise God for those teenagers, those young people this week that made that decision to accept Jesus Christ to be their Savior. We are chosen for His name's sake. But notice, not only are we chosen, we are ordained for His name's sake. He says in verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Ordained you. That ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. We've heard of ordinations, maybe. In fact, if you've been part of the church for here for a number of years, you'll, you probably know that I was ordained here at First Baptist Church. Some of you were actually here for the ordination. You can remember, there were a bunch of pastors up here, and I was scared to death. In fact, uh, Brother Ross always reminds me of the first time I preached here. He's like, you were scared to death. I'm like, you're right, I was. And I'm still scared to death every time I get up and preach in front of you people. But I can remember all of those preachers up there, and they were, they were asking questions, you know, finding out what I knew about the Bible and making sure that I wasn't just a, a novice and things like that. And I can remember them asking me questions. And finally, after 
asking all the questions. They said, yes, we, we think he can be ordained to the gospel ministry. And so uh, I remember kneeling right over here in this, this section right here and uh, Pastor Hill and, and my dad was here and other pastors were here. And I remember kneeling down right here and those men put their hands upon me. They prayed for me and they, they ordained me to the gospel ministry. And again, we think of this idea of being ordained like, oh man, I couldn't, I couldn't be, I couldn't be that, you know, that's, that's something really, that's, that's, you got to be somebody special. Yeah, look at me. Yeah, it's not somebody special. Okay. You don't have to be anybody special for that. But the word ordained simply means appointed, appointed. It means to be appointed. So notice what he says here. He says, I have chosen you or chosen for his name. But then he says, I have ordained you. We are ordained for his name's sake. We are ordained. We are appointed to something. What are we appointed to? What are we ordained to? He says, we are appointed. We are ordained to go and bring forth fruit. Now, I want you to notice how often Jesus speaks of this in this passage. Again, remember in verse number one, he's talking, he's using this illustration, I am the vine, you're the branches, right? He's using this example of the vine and the branches, but notice how often he refers to bearing fruit. In verse number two, every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. In verse number four, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. Verse five, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Verse number eight, herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Verse number 16, I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Do you think after saying it five times in just, just a short amount of time that maybe, maybe this is an important thing for us to do? Maybe this is something that he's really trying to emphasize here. Right. Obviously, if Jesus tells us to do something once, that's enough. And you've probably heard me say this before, but when we read Scripture, right, Scripture does not have a volume button on it, right? If you're listening to the radio, if you're listening to something on your phone or in a car or something, if you can't hear it well, what do you do? You turn up the volume, whether it's pushing the plus button or you turn the volume, whatever, you're turning up the volume. Why? Because you want to make sure that you hear, you're listening well. Well, there's no, there's no volume button on this, but yet there is. You see, when Jesus says something once, that's enough. But then he, when he repeats it, what he's doing is he's turning the volume up a little bit. And then when he repeats it, when he says, I want you to bear fruit, he's like, I want you to make sure you all heard that. I want you to bear fruit. But then he's like, I'm going to raise the volume up a little bit. I want you to bear fruit. And he says, I want you to make sure that you really hear it. I want you to bear fruit. And I'm going to raise it up a little bit more because I want to make sure you hear it. Bear fruit. I'm going to raise it up a little bit more because I want to make sure you hear it. Bear fruit. He's raising the volume on it. He's making us understand the importance of this. Bearing fruit. This is what we are ordained. This is what we are appointed to do. To bear fruit. Every single one of us as Christians are appointed to bear fruit. Why? Because fruit is the evidence of a life that is yielded to Christ. Fruit is the evidence of a life that is yielded to Christ. Fruit is the evidence of abiding in Christ. 
Christ. It's fruit. And we are ordained for his name's sake. We are ordained to bear fruit for his name's sake. Not for our name, but for his name. This appointment is not something that you can turn down. You understand what I'm saying? You can't, this is not an option whether, all right, Jesus said, well, do you want to bear fruit or do you not want to bear fruit? No, no. This is an appointment. He has appointed us. He has ordained us to bear fruit. Now, you can't turn it down, but you can disobey it. The, the, the order is there. This is what I have ordained you to do. This is what I have appointed you to do. You are to bear fruit. Now, that is up to you whether you obey it or not. But you can't say, well, that's not for me. No, it is for you because you have been chosen for his name's sake. And you have been ordained for his name's sake to bear fruit. But watch this. Watch what he says. And that your fruit should remain. You see, not only does he want us to bear fruit, but he wants us to bear lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. That fruit that remains. That fruit of the Spirit that He's working to produce in your life isn't just something that He wants to be there for a day or two. It's not just something that He wants to be there for a week or a month. It's not just something He says, hey, I want you to produce the fruit of the Spirit for, for a couple months. No, no. This thing that, this fruit that He's wanting to produce in our life is something that He wants to remain. It's something that He wants to last. This is fruit that remains. The word remain has the same idea as residing, abiding, or living in. In other words, it's supposed to be there permanently. Permanently. Several weeks ago on Wednesday night, I was preaching a message and I used the, uh, my illustration of my peach tree and how last year I got a peach off of my peach tree and I was so excited about that because I got a peach off of it, right? And, uh, you know, when I took that peach off, another one didn't just grow back right away. I had to wait. I had to wait another whole year or so. Now I look at the peach tree, and whenever my wife or any of my kids are mowing, I'm always careful. Do not hit my peach trees. I'm telling you, do not hit my peach trees. I mean, they, they're, they're starting to get bigger and they're starting to produce peaches. And uh, one of them has about 10 of them on there. One of them has about 30. And I'm like, man, I cannot wait for these peaches to be ready because I'm going to enjoy these peaches. I'm going to enjoy this fruit. But here's the thing. That fruit is not there permanently. That fruit is only there just for a season. And then it either is, falls off and it rots, or it's taken off and it's eaten or used. But you have to wait a long time, another year or so, for that fruit to come back. That's different than what Jesus is saying here. He says, I want the fruit in your life to remain. I don't want you to just go through seasons of life where you're producing fruit. No, no. He says, I want the fruit to remain in your life. 
And what happens, unfortunately, is for many Christians, there are seasons of life where we produce fruit. Oh, there's a time, man, after revival, man, revival comes, we get excited, and maybe for about a week or two, man, we're really trying to produce that fruit, and then what happens? We start backing off a little bit. Or maybe missions conference or youth conference for the teenagers, something like that. Something really stirs up. We're like, man, that's really great. I want to get excited for God again. And we, we, we try to bear that fruit, and then what happens? There, it's for a season, and we start backing off again. He says, that's not what I want. I don't want you to bear it for a season and then not bear it and then bear it for a season. No, he says, I want this fruit to remain. I want you to continually be able to produce this fruit. It's not just for a week or a month, but to remain, to, to stay there. As you yield your life to Jesus Christ, that fruit is able to remain. This is why it's so important even for new Christians to be taught the word to be able to grow in their spiritual life so that they will remain. You know, the, there's one person that hates to see an individual put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's the devil. The devil hates to see anyone put their faith in Christ. But when a person puts their faith in Christ, the devil's going to do everything he can to try to get them to fall away. Now, please understand what I'm saying here. When I say fall away, I'm not talking about losing their salvation. Nowhere does the Bible ever teach you can lose your salvation. Nowhere. The gift of God is eternal life. It's eternal. But what happens? A new Christian gets saved and and they start growing a little bit. And the devil says, hey, I want to make sure this Christian doesn't produce any fruit. So I'm going to start getting them sidetracked. I'm going, to start, I'm going to start bringing things into their life that maybe they didn't even have before. I'm going to start trying to, uh, to get them to think about other things. I'm going to try to help them to see that it's not important to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And the devil does everything he can so that that fruit doesn't remain. That's why it's so important that we help young Christians grow in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we allowing that fruit to remain in our life? Are we yielding our life to Jesus Christ so that the fruit of the Spirit, that the evidence of a Christ-filled life is seen through our life and the fruit that we're producing? Again, remember, it's for His name's sake. I want you to notice this as well here in this verse. Not only are we ordained for His name's sake to bear fruit, And for that fruit to be lasting fruit. But notice, he says, that whatsoever ye may or ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And again, I just, I find this so amazing here. Because back in verse number 7 and 8, and here again in verse number 16, we find a correlation between asking and bearing fruit. Look back up in verse number 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. He said, look, if you're abiding in Christ, you're going to be able to ask what you want. And the most important thing that glorifies God is bearing fruit. So what do you think we ought to ask for? Fruit. Interesting here again in verse number 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Again, this correlation between bearing fruit and asking whatever we want of the Father. 
We get this idea, well, I can ask whatever I want, so that means I can ask for a new car, I can ask for a new job, I can ask for a new house, I can ask for this, I can ask for that. No, no, you've missed it. You've missed it. It's not about me. It's about him. What glorifies him? What honors him? To bear fruit. When is the last time you asked God for fruit? When is the last time you asked God, Lord, I want to bear fruit in my life. Lord, I want to be yielded to you so that I can bear this fruit in my life. So it's not just a seasonal bearing fruit, but it is a permanent bearing fruit. Lord, I want to yield my life to you. I want my life to be so yielded to you that, that, that the fruit that is there, it's all, it all glorifies you. Isn't it interesting? The one thing that Jesus specifically tells us to pray for in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 37 and 38, then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. He said, the harvest is plenteous. The problem is there's no laborers. There's no laborers. So what does he say? Pray for laborers. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, he would send forth laborers. Well, let me ask you this. Where do we get laborers? If we're not bearing fruit, how are we going to have laborers? If there's no fruit, where are the laborers going to come from? If we're not out telling people about Jesus Christ and trying to win them to Christ and help them to grow spiritually, where are the laborers going to come from? He says, pray specifically for laborers. We're so concerned about praying for a car and for a house and for a job and for money and all these different things. We're so concerned about praying for stuff for us that we have failed to pray for what he told us to pray for. Oh, man, whatsoever you shall ask in my Father's name, he may give you. Woo! I'm going to pray for... Wait a minute. You're praying it for yourself or are you praying it for his glory? You see, we ought to be asking God, God, I, I want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit so that fruit can remain and that fruit will produce other fruit. There'll be other labors to be able to go into your harvest. We are ordained for his name's sake. Why should we bear fruit? For his name's sake. Once you notice verse number 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. You see, not only are we chosen for his name's sake, ordained for his name's sake, but we are to be united for his name's sake. Jesus reinforces the importance of unity within the body of believers, within the church. He says, and I want you to notice this, these things, and what are those next three words? These things, what does he say? I command you. You see that, right? We're in John chapter 15, verse number 17. These things, I command you. Say those three, three words with me. I command you. Come on, say it with me. I command you. So think with me about this. In case you were thinking somehow that unity and loving one another was optional, he says very clearly, I command you. 
It's not optional. Just like being ordained is not optional. He says, these things I command you. This is a command from the creator of the universe. I command you that ye love one another. Why? Because if there's no unity in the body, we cannot fulfill his purpose for the church. If there's no unity within the body of believers, if there's no unity within the church, how is the church going to be able to fulfill the purpose that God has given to it? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Where are the laborers going to come from? From the church. Where is the fruit supposed to be seen? In the church. In our lives. So that Christ is able to fulfill his purpose through the church. This is why the devil will do everything he can to cause friction and division in the church among believers. So here's a question we have to ask ourselves. Will we allow ourselves to be used by the devil to cause division? Or will we be united for his namesake? Will we allow ourselves to cause to be used by the devil to cause division and friction to, to tear apart the church? Or will we be united and obey his command to love one another for his name's sake? Why do people cause division in a church? Because of pride. Because of pride. I didn't get my way. It didn't go the way that I wanted. Why is it when people leave a church, they try to blow it up as they're leaving? Because it's about pride. It's all about me. There's no love. There's no unity. Just pride. And they'll do anything they can to try to destroy the work of God because it's all about me. But see, friend, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. And we are to be united in love for his namesake. You want to look at a great passage on unity? Turn over with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Notice what he says here in verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Again, notice it's about Christ. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now you tell me, where is me in this? It's not about me. It's about him and them. That's who it's about. It's not about me. He says it's not to be about, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Why? Because this was the mind of Christ. Verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, it's all about him. We are to be united in love for his namesake. Now, why? 
Why is it so important that we understand we are chosen for his name's sake? Why is it so important that we understand that we are ordained for his name's sake? Why is it so important that we understand that we are to be united in love for his name's sake? Here's why. Because we are to be persecuted for his name's sake. Notice what he says in verse number 19. Excuse me, verse number 18. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word which I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted you, they will also persecute you. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. You see, I don't think we understand that Christ is asking us to live a different lifestyle from the world. He's asking us to be different from the world. He's asking us to live for His name's sake. And when we live for His name's sake, the world will hate us. Why? Because they hate you and me? No. Because they hate Him. They hate Jesus Christ. Why else would somebody who is an atheist that doesn't even believe in God be so upset about a John and Romans in his mailbox again? If he doesn't even believe in God, why is he so upset about it? If there are people that don't believe in God, why do they have a problem with people praying? If they don't believe in God, why do they have a problem with us having the word of God? Why are they trying to destroy it? Why are they trying to take Christianity away? And why are they trying to make it look like we're the hate mongers and everything? Because they hate Jesus Christ and everything that he stands for. And he says, because they hate me, if you are living for my name's sake, they will hate you. They'll hate you. But for some reason, I, I, I don't understand why so many Christians want to identify with the world. Why do we want to identify with the ones who hate us? Well, you know, but if, if they, don't, they don't really hate us. We're just, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're coming around, right? I mean, I mean look, at, look at some of the victories we've had. I mean, the world is coming around to accept Jesus. You're blind. If you think the world is ever going to come around to accept Jesus and be happy about Jesus, you are blind. They hate him. Oh, yes, they may be, they may not be all, be all-out war against Jesus right now. We may be able to live in a country where we can worship freely and we can give out a gospel track or we can talk about Jesus openly. But let me tell you something. They hate it. And they're doing everything they can to try to stop it. And there's going to come a day when they're going to say, hey, either if you say you're a Christian, you either go to jail, you either be killed, or you renounce his name. You say, why, why do you think that's going to happen? Because it's happened before. 
It's happened before. You look through the centuries. You look at how the world has hated those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) You ever thought about this? What wrong did Jesus do? And they hated him. He never did anything wrong. Never stole anything. Never blackmailed anybody. Never was deceitful. Never told a lie. Never did anything wrong. And they hated him. And somehow we think that if we're a Christian, that somehow we can get, you know, we can just, it's all right. You know, we're all good. You know, let's just all be together and the world's not going to hate us. If you are a Christian, just by naming the name of Jesus Christ, you're already on their most wanted list. They hate you. And as you start standing for Jesus Christ, and you start living for him, for his name's sake, you'll find out just how much they really hate you. But see, we just, we don't, we, Pastor, we don't, we don't want to talk about that. Let's just, you know, I mean, God loves everybody. He just loves everybody, so it's all right, you know, I mean, it's, it's okay. Wait a minute. It's for his name's sake. It's not for your name's sake. Not for my name's sake. It's for his name's sake. That's why he has chosen us for his name's sake. He's ordained us for his name's sake. We're united for his name's sake. Why? Because there's going to come a time of persecution. You know what we need? Not only are we going to need Jesus Christ, we're going to need one another. We're going to need each other. We're going to need that encouragement from one another. Hey, there's going to be a time that somebody at work, they're just going to, they're going to cuss you out. They're going to land blast you. And you know what? You're going to need somebody as encouragement. You're going to need somebody to come along and say, hey, you know what? It's all right, brother. Don't, it's all right. Don't worry about that. They're doing it because they hate Jesus. They don't hate you. They're doing it because they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. And I tell you something, Jesus is proud of you for standing up for him. He's proud of you for doing that. Because you're doing it for his name's sake. You see, we're going to need one another. You say, well, I don't need anybody. Oh, you just wait. You just wait. You start living for Jesus the way you ought to, and you'll find out you're going to need a lot of us. Just like I need you, and you need me, and you need those other people sitting in that row that you're sitting in, and those in front of you, and those behind you. We need each other. Because the world and the devil is trying to tear the church apart. He's trying to tell your family apart. He's trying to destroy Christianity because he hates Jesus Christ. And because he hates Jesus Christ, he hates you persecuted for his name's sake it should not come as a shock that the world hates us jesus says if we were of the world they would love us why do you think the devil gets so upset when when a person comes to know jesus christ as their savior you know why because we're stealing him from that side we're, we're stealing them. We're, we're telling them, hey, Jesus loves you more than the world does. He loves you more than the devil. They have nothing to offer. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He gives you a home in heaven. Why don't you come to know Jesus? And praise God, this past week, 10 people came to know Jesus as their Savior. You think that made the devil happy? I don't think so. He hates it when somebody comes to know Jesus. So he's going to do everything he can to get you and me to stop. Don't say anything. You don't want to offend anybody. 
You don't want to make anybody mad. Look, friend, they're already mad. They're already offended. They're offended because you claim the name of Jesus Christ. So let's just stand up for Christ. They're already offended at us. They're already, they already hate us. Let's just stand up and be real and honest and say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to live my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. He alone is going to be the one that satisfies. And so whether the world accepts me or not, I'm just going to follow him. I'm just going to follow Jesus. Persecuted. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. I wonder this morning, are we living for his name's sake? Truly, are we living for his name's sake? Or is it still all about us? See, the only way we can truly live for him is if we're abiding in him. I am the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. There's a lot of Christians doing nothing we don't want to live for his namesake we don't want to be ordained we don't want to be united we don't want to be persecuted why because our life is all about me and it's supposed to be about him father i pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning lord help us to realize that it is for your namesake we are to live Lord, maybe there's someone this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to realize that you have chosen them. You want them. Lord, they must make that choice whether to accept you or not. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's never accepted Jesus Christ, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts this morning. And for Christians, Lord, that we would make that choice to live for you, for your namesake. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, nobody looking about this morning. I wonder if maybe there's someone here today. You say, Pastor, that's me. I've never made the choice to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've heard, I, I know about Jesus, I know the Bible stories, I know he died on the cross, I know those things, but I have never made the choice personally to accept Jesus as my Savior. You say, Pastor, that's me. Friend, nobody else is looking around, I'm not going to come to you, I'm not going to call you out, but I would like to pray for you this morning. You say, Pastor, that's me. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Pastor, I'm not sure if I've ever made that choice to accept Jesus as my Savior. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Pastor, pray for me. Anyone this morning? Pastor, pray for me. And friend, can I ask you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
you know for sure that you're saved, then are you living your life for His name's sake? Not for yours, but for Him. If not, why not? If we're not living for Him, then we're not able to bear the fruit that He wants us to bear. If we're not living for Him, we're not able to love one another as Christ wants us to. We're not able to fulfill the purpose that He has for our life. Maybe this morning it's time to make that decision. Lord, I want to live my life for Your name, for Jesus Christ, and I'll be satisfied with that. Father, would you help us this morning? Speak to our hearts. Lord, may we truly have a desire to follow you, to live our life for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.